Conversate Trans is an intergenerational podcast series exploring trans culture. The podcast, developed by the Sterlings Collective with funding from Create in collaboration with Tenny, with continued participation of the trans community, explores invisible histories and culture through intergenerational dialogue and archival materials. Having worked closely with members of the trans community over the last two years, the collective recognized the need for intergenerational dialogue and community care for trans people, and this podcast aims to be one part of this. Hi, my name is Alexandra. And I'm Jules. And this is the Conversate Trans Podcast. And today we have our guest, Ariel, who's a comedian, a trans woman, who is an activist, who has been, I think, in the feminist and pro-choice and trans movement for the last, like, what did I say, 20 years? Uh, yes. More like, more like 12, 13. Okay, 12 or 13. A bit more. 14, maybe. And would you like to tell us about the object you brought today, Ariel? Um, yeah, so um, I, uh, thank, you, thank you for having me. I brought, um, what I, the object that I brought today is um, uh, Trans Liberation, a movement whose time has come. It's a, uh, it's a pamphlet um, in, that I have in, in zine form uh, by uh, Leslie Feinberg, by the late trans activist Leslie Feinberg. And um, yeah, it's it was kind of one of those things that, things that was very integral to my coming out in about 2008. And um, so, yeah, and I, I brought it because it was it's kind of like very emblematic of the way the way in which my coming out happened and and kind of like what led into it and what led out of it kind of thing because it's kind of it's kind of a weird it's kind of a weird long story. But yeah, um, and I am a, I am technically retired from activism, um, uh, aside from like a couple of things here and there and and stuff like this. Um, uh, because I trans activism, I live in the UK now. I live in Scotland. Uh, trans activism in the UK uh, sucks completely, absolutely blows. Not a good time. So um, <laughs> I'm re- I'm retired, but. Um, but yeah, but I don't know. I don't know where, where you where you would like to start. Um, Why is the zine um, a zine? Is a zine? It's a zine. Yeah. Um, why is that like? Like, what's the story? I guess behind that, you know, like why why that zine? So, um, so this I I I need to kind of go back a fair bit before that. So I'm just gonna be a, give a bit of background if that's okay. Um, so yeah. uh, I am originally from Argentina. And I emigrated to Ireland when I was 18 in uh, 2001. Um, uh, and, you know, and it was, it was, it was very difficult um, at that time, uh, especially being a, a migrant from South America in, uh, in Ireland because of kind of, it, it was like a, a big kind of like cultural clash, uh, as it were. And at the time, uh, the large communities that exist in Ireland now of, of Latin America, like there was a Brazilian community where it was very, very, very small. Dublin had a single tiny Brazilian shop, if you can believe that, just one. And uh, whereas now it has so many that I don't even know them all, and uh, which is fantastic. Um, so so it, was very, it was very difficult and alienating for a weird teenager that didn't know that she was trans and that was neurodivergent before that term was really in normal usage. And um, so 
uh, had a had a tough few years, um, and and I did a, a sociology degree in um, in the American College Dublin. I come from a family that's very left wing. Um, my mum used to be in the Communist Party <laughs> at one point in the seventies. Oh. Yeah, and um, you know, kind of like politics, kind of like runs like it's it's, it's kind of always been very important in my family. Um, uh, a lot of my family has been working class and. Uh, Jewish and kind of like escaping and surviving several different uh, horrific events. And um, I, I did sociology and my, my lecturers were very, um, very, very lefty. They would have described themselves as, as, as Marxists. And, um, you know, I that that degree actually ended up teaching me a lot about Ireland and Irish history and Irish society. Um, but one of the things that they didn't teach us much about was uh, gender and feminism. They taught us a bit about it. We did, I think, like maybe one module about it. But they, both of my lecturers made it very, very clear that like this wasn't their area and that they felt that this was like a shortcoming and that this is something that they they felt a bit embarrassed about, that they couldn't really give us a better background, right? So, um so I leave uni in 2005 and uh, sink into depression. <laughs> and um, uh, because I was, I had been involved in the anti-war movement very, very peripherally, just like going to the demos because basically everyone that was even mildly left-wing was going to the anti-Iraq war demos and uh, anti-Bush demos and stuff like that in Dublin. And um, uh, I was very, very, I felt very defeated in all of that. And um uh, I met someone uh, that I started seeing and we moved in together very, very quickly. And um, who was, uh, this person was was a feminist and, and had like knowledge of gender studies and stuff. And so through her, I started learning some stuff and kind of getting to know like the feminist scene a bit. She wasn't too involved, but she kind of like knew about it. And um, eventually what ended up happening is that I, I ended up trying to do a master's in sociology in UCD, which is the one that I didn't finish. Um, and there I met people that had heard of a meeting of uh, a pro-choice group. And at the time, I, had, I was so kind of depressed about the state of the, the political state of the world. And uh, bear in mind, this is like 2007 that we're talking about, roughly, um, you know, with Bush and the Iraq war and Blair and all of that. And um, and I, based, I, I joined this organization, which was uh, Choice Ireland. I went, we used to have a secret meetings uh, using whatever empty rooms we could find in the arts building in a, in Trinity College. Um, and um, met a lot of like-minded people, learned a lot about uh, the protest movement and, and, and the politics of it and got involved in in it. Um, and I, you know, and I, and, I, and I remember saying to myself, this is like, joining the, the Irish pro-choice movement, I was like, this is something that I can do politically that can be like, have like a specific outcome, you know, not just like fixing the general right-wing bent of the world, you know, like I was like, this is like specific demands that we have that are achievable and would take a very long time to achieve. But, um, and it was through my involvement with that movement that I started running into kind of like, the further left parts of the feminist movement, including the anarchists. And uh, I discovered RAG, the revolutionary 
anarcho-feminist group, um, which uh, was publishing a magazine that was that, that was born out of uh, Lady Fest Dublin, which was before my time in the scene. And um, and it was through meeting people in this in this scene and kind of starting to read a lot and, and reading, getting into zine culture and reading a lot of zines. Um, I guess Rack counts as a zine. We always call it a magazine, but it's kind of like a big zine, really. Um, and um, and that started introducing me to a lot of different topics. And then on my, you know, there was like a big divide, like in my public and private life, because like in my free time, I was spending a lot of time with like activists and going to uh, uh, the late and great Shomra Spree, uh, which which I started going to, uh, which was a social center um, for people that might not know. It was a, a radical social center that was based in Dublin and uh, had several incarnations. And um, and I was hanging out with all these people, but at the same time, I was uh, in in my my work life. I was working in the video game industry, and uh, as far as I knew, I was a cis by leaning straight guy and um all of these things were not topics that you would have talked about in the gaming industry in 2007 <laughs> they barely are in 2021 so um you know so there was like a bit of a bit of a separation there and um and eventually through that i came upon stuff on trans stuff i started joining online communities around it and Basically, through the rag, uh, rag used to have a distro, and in zine terms, this means that that someone basically is like uh, selling a bunch of zines. Um, usually, a distro would have like some sort of a theme that was based on the person or group that was running it. So, rag is an arc, was an anarcho feminist group. So, the rag distro had like pro choice literature. It had you know feminist history, uh, basically all everything under that umbrella. And that's how I found this zine in the Rag Distro. And um, and I read it, and it immediately made a lot of sense to me. It had been written in 1992. And uh, uh, I have it. Do I have it in front of me? I have it almost in front of me. Um, oh, no, I think I closed the window. But uh, the, um, the fascinating thing about it is that the first thing that Leslie Feinberg says in this, I want to I wanna read it to you because you, I think you might find it fascinating. This pamphlet is an attempt to trace the historic rise of an oppression that as yet has no commonly agreed name. And she's talking about transphobia. <laughs> right. Um, because the entire thing is about how um, trans people predate the existence of capitalism, trans people predate the existence of that kind of oppression. And as someone that was coming into these politics from the background that I had and kind of coming into these radical politics, this all made perfect sense to me. And I was like, oh, this is starting to make sense of a lot of personal experiences I've had in the past and a lot of brushes with self-awareness <laughs> that I had in the past. And it had to it had to reach me through like a political, kind of radical political um, way. I'm also the daughter of, of a, a history teacher. So Leslie Feinberg talks a lot about history as well. So, you know, obviously this, yeah. Sorry, it was very long-winded. <laughs> That was quite like just expansive of how you got to find that pamphlet. It's very interesting to see like your whole back. Well, not your whole background, but just the journey you have been on. Wait, did this change how you were like 
seen in those movements in like 2008 as like a trans woman now? So or did you um, come out? Yep. So so my coming out took like about a year. Okay. Yeah. Um, and uh, I first came out within those movements, and obviously not in my not in my kind of like yeah. not to my parents, not to my. But I first came out as genderqueer. Um, which uh, I understand has fallen into disuse, but uh, it's what those of us old people used to call used to say call say instead of non-binary. Um, okay, yeah. Um, although it, it is still in use, I do know people that still use it, but um, it's it's less in use than it was then, back then. And um, you know, at the time when I was like, because I was mainly hanging out, um, I was mainly hanging out with like people from RAG, people from all of these movements, people that were doing like queer nights and stuff like that, and and the pro-choice movement. And so um, everyone was very just like, yeah, that's that's totally cool. Like the, the everyone was just like very relaxed about it. Um, and and I was very new to it, so I didn't really even know that much myself but i slowly started kind of learning more and more and more and reading a ridiculous amount of stuff everything i could get my hands off uh, on on um uh, about kind of trans experiences but i also was a bit selective at the time because i already had like this kind of feminist background to myself and so i didn't necessarily like reading stuff that i felt was like maybe not very aware of those politics you know and so i was kind of kind of stepping around that kind of stuff. And then like the book that I found that kind of made everything finally kind of click together was Whipping Girl by Julia Serrano, which um, I think uh, Elish mentioned in uh, in her episode. And um, and that book made perfect sense to me because again, Julia Serrano was coming at it from a feminist perspective. And and I was just like, yeah, I, I, I felt like for me, genderqueer was basically taking the steps towards coming out as a, what we would now call binary trans woman, um, and and that was what what my journey was. It's not what other people's journey is. That's kind of what what it was for me. But um, and that kind of made, yeah. And again, that made perfect sense because it it totally clicked with my politics and my sort of nascent understanding of like gender politics and trans politics and stuff like that. Um, so. When I came out as a trans woman, it it ended up being in a. I remember it was officially in coming out day, International Coming Out Day, two thousand and eight. That's when I came out as a trans woman, and um, I uh, I came out to my parents on that day. They did not take it well. They're fine now. It's it's water under the bridge, but they did not take it well for a couple of years. Um, and what happened that was really amazing was um, at the time I was I was hanging out a lot in Shomer's Spree and a lot with like women from rag and stuff like that and the moment that i came out my friends who were in rag were like do you want to join rag do you want to do you want to join do you want to come to a meeting <laughs> you know because like they all knew me they all knew my politics and where i stood with stuff and um i had attended i think i had attended the um um ah oh, there was like there was like a rag kind of a weekender that they did up in um Leitrim. and i attended that i don't know if i think i was 2008 and um and i ended up like leading like a workshop on trans stuff because like nobody else was really talking about this uh everyone was open to it but there was very very few people talking about it like you know in in that community what it, what used to happen a lot is that sometimes you would get people that lived in ireland for a few years and then may, maybe they left so there had been some um there had been uh people that had talked about that topic in in the scene but then had left ireland that left the scene you know and so it came to be that for a couple of years, 
I was one of about three out trans people in the anarchist and feminist scenes, like even in the broader feminist scene. Anyone that was like in terms of like being involved with like pro-choice stuff and and that kind of feminist activism, I was kind of the only trans woman there for a couple of years. Um which I don't say as a point of pride or anything like that. Um because I know that there were trans women before me, and obviously there's been many after me. It was more a case I am more highlighting it because okay, of how yeah. lonely it was. <laughs> because everyone was very very welcoming and everyone was really solid, but I all the trans women that I met in Dublin, most of them I could be friends and stuff like that, but there was a lot of stuff in politics that I just couldn't connect at the time at the time. At the time. I mean, were they just like not interested in being part of that like very political movement? Or just they just have different politics? Um I think it's a bit of both. I think it's a bit of both. Um okay. I think some people, you know, some people were a bit a bit a bit more conservative. And also what you have to remember is that at the time, two thousand and eight um, eight, nine. Talking about pro-choice stuff was considered very taboo. Still, a lot of people st- talked about it, but for a lot of people, unless you were actually involved in those politics, for a lot of people, it was considered taboo. Even if you were pro-choice, it was considered it was not something that you discussed in polite company because it was just, yeah, it was just. Yeah, you ne- you basically never knew at the time, no matter how left-leading someone was, you never knew what their position was going to be on it and how how strongly they might feel about it. Um, which surprised me several times, uh, actually, at the time, um, because I was so involved in that world, you know? But I, I would say for a lot of trans people and trans women in particular, you know, there's an aspect of it that makes a lot of sense because... I feel for trans women, especially at the time, the stigma and the the sort of societal punishment for being an out trans woman, um, or even even the ones that weren't able to be out yet, the 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 consequences were so severe that I think people a lot of people were too scared to even consider stepping out of line in any other way. Okay, yeah. Because they were they were just terrified, you know. Um, so yeah, so at the time, I, I like I, I went a couple of times to the Dublin trans support group that existed at the time, and uh, uh, people did not like me there. I, I it was not it's not a good time for anybody involved. I was too political. They were not political enough for me. Uh, I was at many points the only non-Irish person in the room, which made me feel really uncomfortable and kind of otherized and kind of weird. So yeah, there was nothing wrong with the group per se. It's just like it wasn't a good fit for me. But yeah, no, yeah, because just when you enter some groups, it's very like clear whether they want to make a statement about just the makeup of the group can tell a lot about what may. I'm not sure what I'm saying. To be honest, I just like just, just that some groups will work for you and some won't. Well, yeah, but just the way that we can be quite exclusionary without knowing it, I suppose, is what I was getting at. And we need to be like more conscious of not blacking other people off because they don't like fit within our own like worldview or something. I think that's where I was going. Yeah, no, it's it's I I I agree with that. I think like especially at the time when you were, you know. When when you're doing something as as kind of broad as the trans community, 
Yeah. Like that's definitely when I started getting involved in trans activism myself, that's kind of what I was trying to do um, to have like that kind of multitude of perspectives and backgrounds. Um, I joined um, uh, Honestly, my memory is failing me on this, on the particular year because uh, 2007 to 2009, a lot of stuff happened uh, in my life. But I think around 2009 is when beginning of 2009, I joined Tenny and, uh, as part of its, uh, didn't have a board at the time. Uh, we had a committee. Um, I think late 2008, like basically right after I came out, I joined Tenny and uh, I got involved. I helped organize. There was like a trans rights conference. Like it was like a, it was like a legal facing conference. Um, kind of like it was oh, a, yeah. Uh, yeah, it was a, it was a, this, um, oh, the venue was this, it was some sort of law school, some sort of, law college it was in um oh my god stony batter i don't know uh whatever that place is i don't know either maybe love throne leisha would know uh, yeah. but it doesn't yeah we'll be okay oh yeah yeah it's i mean uh yeah basically that was um that was a really interesting experience like we we held that and we had a very good reception and uh a lot of us who were in the in the committee like gave like little little talks about our experiences coming out and and what we wanted to achieve with Tenny. And uh, we had a committee that was um, very diverse in some ways, not very diverse in others. Um, it's not very diverse because it was all white. Um, it was diverse in the sense that we had like a, a nice variety of like backgrounds and ages and stuff. And um, so that, and that, that kind of made it made it more interesting. Um, and we, you know, we worked on getting uh, the funding for Tenny through, uh, through Atlantic Philanthropies, which was a process that took a year and in which I learned, I learned a lot about that because uh, up until then, I was still involved in Choice Island. We were, Choice Island was a uh, boots on the ground kind of organization. It was a, it was a direct action organization. You know, we, we did letter writing campaigns and we lobbied politicians a bit. But our main stuff was about leafletting in the street. It was about uh, the this one rogue uh, rogue crisis pregnancy agency in Dublin that gave false information because it was a pro life front, and so they gave fake medical information to women that were considering to travel for an abortion. So we would like picket that place, and we did a lot of campaigns of information about such clinics. And uh, so doing stuff with Tenny was very different at the time because Tenny was um, much more kind of involved in like, you know, creating creating supports for trans people and lobby and, and kind of like, you know, I don't know lobbying is a very loaded word, but basically, you know, yeah, doing that kind of for the entire trans community in Ireland, uh, trans communities, really. And so doing that process of fraternity philanthropy was very weird because I was like, oh, I'm a... I'm a I'm a punk in a in a in a boardroom, <laughs> trying to get a funding from a philanthropic organization. It was very it was very enlightening, um, very illuminating at the time. Um, but uh, yeah, sorry, I'm just I just go on rambles like that. Sorry about that. Yeah, but we have found out that it was let's see the Law Society of Ireland, which is that black hall place, which yes. I know we've moved on, but like just to say that. Yes, yeah. that's what it was. Yeah, the Legal Society of Ireland. That's what it is. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, it was there. It was it was pretty wild because of all lawyers there. Sorry. Are some of those places that you picked it? Is there the like pro choice movement that were spreading disinformation still like active? 
Um, you know, I I had heard relatively recent rumblings a few years ago that like you know those movements still exist in Ireland and they're still active in yeah. some description. I think that that clinic took a long time to go away because I think that um, the people that run it just owned it, and so they from what we could tell they seemed to close it every few years and then reopen it <laughs> um but uh yeah so i don't i don't know when's the last time that that we heard about that because yeah because okay, i yeah. you know obviously I, I moved away from dublin in 2012 and kind of while i'm still in touch obviously with a lot of people i have like a lot of like queer family in ireland and stuff like that but it's uh I, some of the details become a bit fuzzy for me after 2012 kind of thing yeah, no, I just mean that I think not too long ago, maybe it was 2018 or 2019, I heard of a place like that, and I think they may even done something in RTE where they were like, it was like RTE investigates, and they definitely said stuff that was like completely wrong and didn't, they were deterring people from accessing abortion abroad and things, and it was just kind of like, reminds me of that. So I, that's that sounds exactly like it. And yeah. uh, I, 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 at the time, we actually had, um, I think at the time, some radio program may, did a similar thing, a similar investigation, or maybe it was a TV segment. I can't remember. I do remember that a journalist did go in with a tape recorder, and uh, that had been, I think, maybe that was, yeah, like like that that we like that was done like back then. But also, I if I remember correctly, that was like about a year after. Uh, one of our people had done it, <laughs> going okay. in with a tape recorder, yeah. you know, <laughs> to figure out what they were saying. Hey, what made you move from Ireland to like, where did you move in 2012? Was it Scotland or someplace else? Uh, Scotland, Scotland. Yeah, I live in Glasgow now. Um, you know, uh, it was it was a, it was a couple of reasons. <clears throat> one was that for a long time I had really felt that I needed to 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 get out of Ireland. I felt at the time. I felt very um, kind of, Ireland felt very isolated from the larger world in many ways. Um, I always, uh, I had been, ever since I had um, come out, but even before that, ever since I lived in Ireland, I was always kind of traveling to the UK or traveling within Europe and uh, meeting friends all over the place. And for many years in Ireland, actually, I didn't really have many friends in Ireland um, until about... To us, until I started getting into these communities, and then later uh, came out and was like fully in the uh, LGBTQ scene, I didn't really know that. Like, I, I had like friends all over the UK, and I had friends in other places, and um, and I always felt kind of very limited by Ireland, as I said at the time. It was a very kind of different time. There was a big enough gay scene and stuff like that, a big enough like amount of like trans and feminist people and stuff like that, but it didn't feel it, yeah it just felt kind of like a bit re a bit restrictive you know when I, when I went sometimes to like Berlin or I went to to like America to like Chicago or Denver and I was like oh man Ireland kind of feel like I'm in the back end of nowhere even though I was in Dublin <laughs> because I um I do come from a very very big city <laughs> originally which is Buenos Aires which is uh very 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 big <laughs> and has millions yeah. of people living in it so uh Dublin felt very very small but and the other, well, the other reason, there were a couple of other reasons. One was that I was getting priced out of Dublin. I was on welfare at the time and I couldn't really afford to rent in Dublin anymore. Um, it was getting completely untenable. Um, and um, and then the other one was I uh, I was dating a couple of people that were in Glasgow um, uh, at the time. And uh, 
And I was like, okay, you know, I might as well, you know, uh, it, it made perfect sense to me. I was very, especially with one of them, I was very, very infatuated. And, um, and I was like, I can just get away. Excuse me. I, I had visited Glasgow a few times and I really liked it. And I was like, I can just, you know, go to Glasgow and it's close enough to Ireland, you know, that I can come back whenever, but it's not, you know, uh, so close that it's the same. And, um, yeah, and, and, and that's kind of, that's kind of, kind of how I, how I ended up here. Um, and also at the time, like I was involved with some activism and stuff like that, but I had long, like Choice Ireland at the time was, it was basically dormant and basically was kind of over because it had been kind of like the larger pro-choice movement was kind of, kind of went through waves, basically. Choice Ireland was active for a few years and then went inactive for like a year and then got active again. But then by then Choice Ireland was active, but there was also like other campaigns that were becoming more active and there was the much for choice in 2012 and stuff like that. And uh, and I wasn't that much involved in that aspect of things um, at the time, because at the time I had been very involved in like uh, both trans stuff and larger queer stuff and also uh, the the punk scene as well. Um, but, but, but by 2012, a lot of that stuff, I wasn't so involved anymore or I just didn't feel like I needed to stay for it. And so I was ready for something new, basically. And then Glasgow show, had its own kind of challenges, um, which I can get into in a bit. But uh, I just remembered an important thing that I skipped, which was Bolt magazine, um, which was another magazine I was involved in. Oh. <laughs> Sorry, I'm just like, I, this is kind of, because my ADHD kind of like, this is the way like my narratives go back and forth and are very long-winded. Sorry about that. I just think it's quite interesting. Like, I... <sighs> I've only been kind of out in the queer scene like four or five years, I guess. And even then, like, not that much because I was still, like, very early in transitioning. So it's just really interesting to hear what that kind of situation was like for you um, back then. Because, like, okay, so I guess when I started to come out, the um the, the eighth referendum, repeal the eighth, that's it. Um, that was the, the big conversation. And everyone was like, everyone I knew anyway, was pro repeal the eight. And um, it was nearly hard to kind of have a conversation in like, because at the time I was still very baby trans and I didn't really understand things like body anatomy in that way yeah, You know, I was like, because people would say, you know, the whole thing about whatever the kind of religious aspect and stuff and I had been so grown up in a kind of Catholic situation that I didn't really know to say like you know uh, sorry I guess I just grew up in a situation where abortion would be considered like not at all acceptable and then to go in a situation where like everyone was like on board with it was very kind of odd to me I guess and um, it's quite interesting to kind of hear you coming from the kind of the opposite angle where, like, you couldn't really talk about it at all, do you know? Yeah, it's it's that's really interesting, um, kind of how, how we come to these things, because, like, you know, like, abortion specifically is something that, like, you know, had been mentioned, like in, in, in my life, even before I got into activism and I was already kind of like largely pro-choice um, because I, I didn't I didn't grow up with any kind of like religious uh, uh, background um, 
I am, I would say, culturally Jewish, but I didn't grow up in any specific faith. My mom's family is Catholic. Um, and, um, but, you know, my mom was, has always been like very lefty and uh, kind of very, very firm in her beliefs on this. And the thing about it was that, yeah, for me, it was kind of, it kind of made, made perfect sense. And for me, it was weird that it didn't make perfect sense to to most people, but it was it was the case that you just like you would meet you would sometimes meet people that like um people that uh like you would meet like gay guys that were like super lefty communists and then they would be like oh abortion I can't really have an opinion on that yeah you know and and you'd be like that I think that's kind of how I felt <laughs> yeah. um and then it was only kind of to having the conversations that I kind of understood like. What body and anatomy, body anatomy meant, and kind of. I think it's body autonomy. The various reasons, autonomy. Oh yeah, sorry. <laughs> anatomy is just body anatomy like, is also on the right thing. track. It is. Yeah, it's a word that begins A and has a T. It's fine. Um, yeah, I think I just I had that same thing where I was like, very left. Although I think I have become more and more left as time has gone by, where it's like. Because I, I feel like just as I understand more about capitalism and how exploitative it is, the more I'm like, yeah, no, people shouldn't have to struggle for a home or water or, you know, these basic human needs. Like, you know, when you go into psychology, you have Maslow's hierarchy, which is like human needs. And like that stuff is on the bottom. That's like before you can like have friends or love the psychologists are saying like you know this is what people will choose like their basic human needs because they need to survive and i don't know sorry i kind of going into a different direction but um no 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 it's 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 totally cool i I guess this that that was just kind of my my um my store my what do you call it roadmap from being kind of takeaway uh yeah like my roadmap from kind of being um centrist to more left Whereas I'd say like socialist capitalism is kind of where I'm at, at the moment, and what I see is the most likely kind of situation we could go for. Mm. The one I'd understand, I think, because I don't feel like I understand maybe things like anarchy. Hmm. Yeah, I yeah I hear you. I you know um, I I am I I I often joke that I am a uh, elapsed anarchist, <laughs> <laughs> in that I uh, I stop being involved in like um, kind of. Like I have a lot of friends who are anarchists, and I'm still, I still kind of hold to those beliefs. But I, I stopped kind of being part actively of any of it just because the the risks associated for someone like me were uh, became bigger. Um, in many ways, I was safer in Ireland mm. than I have been in the UK. Um, in I want to get used to saying Britain because Northern Ireland is different. Um, then what I've been in 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 Britain, it's been it's been a very different story. Um, but uh, yeah, I still for me like anarchism has always been something that made sense. But you know, I can't really tell you the, these days. I don't really think about it in terms of the world that is yet to come. Just I think I just think about it in terms of like a like a like a critical framework at least because i've because of the very various moving parts of my background i just uh can't really get on board with like certain things such as political parties for example um 
and kind of like the inherent undemocratic nature of political yeah. parties and of corporate and capital power, you know. Um, but but one thing that I found fascinating is that um, I had the back then the only queer people with whom I had these conversations were people that were already in these communities that were already like uh, lefties, socialists, communists, anarchists, and 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 happened to be queer, happened to be like lesbian, gay, bi, trans, uh, queer, mm. any 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 kind. Um, and in the larger LGBT community in Dublin, in, in Ireland in general, a lot of people just did not, were not interested in this kind of politics and, and kind of, you know, when, when you're talking about like how, how it was a bit of a shock, how like so many people were on board with repeal stuff. Um, it was for me as well, because I kind of, I, I didn't, you know, because I, because I left Ireland in 2012, late, late 2012. And so by the time that repeal rolled around, and we were getting closer and closer to the referendum and it was picking up speed. It was just, it totally, uh, totally like took me by surprise how uh, people have worked so hard to make it into a much more mainstream issue. And there was like, yeah, just like an, like, you know, seeing people in the, in the, in the, in the LGBT community, just like everyone being for repeal. And uh, I went to Ireland in the, on the week of the referendum um, to help, leaflet you know to just like help canvas and leaflet and um i was in in dublin and in uh, in limerick and um and it was it was uh it was very shocking in a in a very positive way because i had um i had had plenty of experience of leafleting people in dublin about pro choice stuff approximately 10 years earlier <laughs> And um, ninety percent of people just like waved you off. They were just like not interested. Two um, percent of people go like, "Oh yeah, right on." Took a leaflet. We're interested, or maybe asked questions and were clearly in good faith. And then the last eight percent were very angry with you, in some capacity or another. And um, and that was uh, it was intensely unpleasant. We met. A lot of incredibly, I want to say, colorful characters at the time. A lot of very weird people. There was one guy I remember. I ran into him. Um, it was off of um, is it Grafton Street. Is Tower Records still a thing in Dublin? I don't it even is, know. Yeah, I don't think it is. Well, it's is on it? Yeah. Well, it was basically Seasons. A... That's the only one we have now. Oh, wait, no, we have two. Oh, right. We have two. I think so. Um, so basically, I was in front of um. I was in front of that Tower Records, um, and uh, so I said, "Oh, Crafton Street." God, I, I've also not been in Dublin for a while because of everything going on. So my memory for streets gets hazy. But um, we, there is one off Crafton Street. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's the one. Um, and I was across from that. I was leafletting for some demo, some pro-choice stuff, that action that Choice Island was doing. And uh, this guy, I remember this middle-aged guy took took a leaflet. Uh, this was before I came out by the way, and um, for context. And, uh, and he started arguing with me about it. He was, he was, he was not rude, actually. He was, he was kind of angry, but firm. He was very, he was just, he was not rude at all. He was clearly trying to convince me. And uh, he, he, he would tell me stuff like, you know, oh, feminists hate men, you know, and stuff like that. And, um, and at one point, um, one thing, one weird thing that kept happening to me in Dublin is, uh, and it's never happened to me anywhere else, which is that um, people would uh, 
assume that I was Jewish, which is a correct assumption, but um, people, I came to realize, made that assumption because I had dark curly hair and certain features, oh. which uh, okay. never happened in Buenos Aires because in Buenos Aires I, I look a lot like a like a run-of-the-mill white person of Italian descent, which is what I am. So, um, uh, so, so this guy was like, are you Jewish? I was like, yeah. And uh, he made a very nasty comparison between um, abortion clinics and the Holocaust that I'm not going to repeat, but it was very shocking. And he didn't, he wasn't saying it, but this is the, this is the shocking thing. The, the really shocking thing was that he was not saying this in an aggressive or accusatory manner. He was saying this with like genuine concern. And that was the scary part. So I was like, yeah, I want to get out of this conversation. And uh, eventually he left me alone and went away. But it was, uh, it was, uh, that was the kind of thing that you run into in central Dublin on a Saturday afternoon. You know, that was the kind of thing. This would have been like 2018 then, right? Um, so, so, so no, this was like what, what I'm saying happened around 2007. Oh, right. Okay. So. Yeah. Oh, this is, oh, right. This sorry. is before. Okay, yeah. Sorry. Back ago. then. Okay, no, yeah. sorry. Back then. No, 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 no. Back then, because like when I went back in 2018 yeah. and I was campaigning and everyone was just like, like we were, uh, we held, uh, me and a pal uh, were holding a sign right at um, College Green by Trinity College. We were holding a sign. This is 2018 when I went back and uh, it, it basically said like, you know, honk for, uh, honk for repeal is what the sign said. And a lot of, a lot of people were like, were like honking and, uh, and a lot of, a lot of Dublin bus drivers looked at the sign and like gave us a thumbs up and were honking. And I was like, I've never seen anything like this in my life. There was only like one guy out of a, like in some sort of a, some sort of a camper van who shouted obscenities at, at us. But like one guy in like five hours of doing that and everyone else was positive. And we were just like, kind of like, my, my friend who had been campaigning there for her, it was normal because she had always been in Dublin. But for me, coming back to this after like so long, it was just like, it was just a very, very pleasant surprise. And then when the referendum result happened, it was just, I, I cried so much. It was just incredible, you know? Um, and uh, I, I got in touch with a lot of the, uh, a lot of the old uh, Choice Ireland people because like I've lost touch with a lot of them down the years, but uh, on the day on the day that we won the referendum, I did get in touch with a lot of them because because uh, for a while, you know, all that you had in the pro-choice movement that was active, sometimes all there was for six months at a time was just Choice Ireland. That was all there was. It was ten of us in a pub. It was what what you had. <laughs> I just want to know: Do you ever think about like joining a movement or just any group in like Scotland? Wait, Edinburgh. Hey, you're in Glasgow. Mm. I'm in Glasgow. Yeah. I'm in Glasgow. But um, so, so what happened to me with with activism when I came to Scotland is that it it was a very you know, Glasgow is pretty great and Scotland has a lot of good parts about it. But it was a completely different okay. beast when I came here, um, because one of the things that I quickly started realizing was that the incredibly positive and welcoming reception that I had in the Irish feminist movement um, was kind of unusual compared to the UK 
uh, and and even the U.S. at the time and Canada at the time, um, it was very very different, a very different story. Um, I knew that those things were happening in those countries because I had been there and I had talked to people, but what was really Amazing for me was how insidious it was here because a lot of people that were, um, you know, they were not in any way, they would have been very anti-transphobia in general and they would have been very much against like tariffs and stuff like that. But because that kind of, that kind of line of thinking had, has permeated uh, feminist and queer communities in uh, Britain for so long. A lot of people have a lot of those views incorporated in a way that they haven't really analyzed because they think that outwardly they are an, against trans misogyny and stuff like that, but they do have a lot of trans misogynistic attitudes that they haven't addressed. And so I started running into this more and more. And the other thing that I started running into was the utter strangeness of the British class system yeah. because... Social class exists in every country, but here it's like, here it was very like, wow. Um, you know, the moment that I criticized a white English middle-class person that went to Oxbridge, suddenly, like at the time, every white middle-class queer and trans person I knew that went to Oxbridge completely closed ranks against, against me, like around that person. You know, and it was very, very strange. And this kept happening in many, many, many circumstances um, where initially people in the trans, larger trans movement in the UK kind of like welcomed me. And then slowly all of this stuff started happening over and over. So I slowly, I kept joining different movements. Um, some of them went well, some of them didn't. I joined, a, I was part of a Ladyfest Glasgow 2013. It was a good time. And, uh, and I was part of a lot of other projects here and there. Um, I was in, in the Anarchist Federation for a while. But slowly I had to, I ended up leaving uh, everything that I was involved in because of either low-key or high-key uh, trans misogyny to the point that I just basically left uh, all, all of those movements. Um, uh, I would participate in, in actions that are participated in events, but I was no longer having activism as such a primary thing in my life. Um, the closest thing that I have now um, is... Uh, I've been involved a few years in a, with an activist football club, which is a United Glasgow. Oh, um, yeah, who are pretty great, um, and who have been incredibly sound and just incredibly great. And, and a lot of the vibe that I get in United Glasgow is very similar to the vibe that I had in the Irish feminist and queer scenes, you know, and stuff like that. I, I but you know, if, even to this day, you know, I always tell people here about how just like when I came out in Ireland, I was just like right away, like in a women-only anarcho-feminist collective, immediately got invited into it, immediately was dating people in the in the lesbian scene. And, you know, no one batted an eyelid, you know? It's not that everyone was, like, 100% fully on board, but also, like, it was pretty just, like, unremarkable. And coming here to Britain has been a, an eye-opener and how for, it's kind of not like that here. I think I remember. I'm not sure. So, yeah. It was someone who was definitely involved in the repeal of the eighth. I think there was a, like a discussion once it in the eighties or I think it might have been the eighties or the late seventies about like feminism and do they want to exclude trans people? Or it might even have been the nineties. I don't know. I feel bad saying this. 
And it was just about, yeah, I just think there was a discussion within like feminists at that time about excluding trans people. And I think they some, maybe not a majority, but there was like more people who were for it than against it. And I think that's just like stayed with, obviously it has since you were talking about it in like the 2000s. And it just obviously hasn't in like Britain, which has its own set of problems. Yeah, I think like a lot of like a lot of these things that are being discussed in like the English speaking world, which is the the one that I know more about. Um, yeah, like trans women's inclusion in feminism uh, as a as a quote unquote debate um, began during the heyday of radical feminism in the seventies in America, and there were a lot of incidents there. But um, and that kind of stuff obviously also permeated into uh, Britain. But Ireland, Ireland's feminist movement, while influenced by these movements and connected to them, was also very separate. And, you know, when I've spoken to people that were involved, that were maybe older or a couple of generations, or like the previous generation to me and stuff like that, you know, the reality for, for a lot of people, uh, like, you know, a lot, a lot of this stuff came to a head in the uh, in the 70s in America and the, and also like the 80s in both the US and Canada and uh, the UK. And there were the so-called feminist sex wars, which is what they were called kind of within the feminist movement, okay. which was about kink, and kink, but also the inclusion of trans people. And But the thing is, what, what people of the previous generation of feminists and LGBT activists in Ireland have told me is like, when they were having those arguments, we were trying to get condoms and we were trying to get divorce legalized and we were trying to get homosexuality decriminalized so we did all of that stuff that we were debating about inclusion of trans people uh kink we were like that is so distant from our more urgent pressing needs and i think okay. yeah and i think because of that the 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 sort of the prevalence of like catholic ideology in ireland meant that like by the time that i showed up anybody that was a feminist that was involved in feminism in Ireland at the time, I would call themselves a feminist publicly, were people that understood the oppressive nature of these norms on anybody that deviated in any way from the expected Catholic gender norms, even cis women, you know? And so a lot of people didn't, a lot of people needed me to educate them on trans stuff, which at the time I was happy to do because uh, it also gave me something to do with the movement that was important and I felt like I was contributing. So I wanted to do it. But also a lot of people wanted to learn about this, but they came at it with the obvious understanding where they were like, well, you know, I don't know anything about trans people, but even, even a cis gay person was having a bad time. Even like cis straight women were having a bad time under the system. So it was just logical for them that trans people would have like would face discrimination the idea that we wouldn't the idea that we would be privileged by the system was unthinkable and ludicrous because it is but also because they didn't get that you know that layer of like feminist activism that seeped in in britain and the us that was full of transphobia and that educated generations of people that came after it through like university and, and activism and stuff like that that just didn't happen in ireland you know, a bit of it is starting to happen now, which is scary. But yeah, and that's why like Irish feminism is kind of like a, a different, a different, a different story altogether. And it'd be too weird to ask about how 
this is gonna be another broad question like how all of that has in influenced you as like a comedian because i know hmm. now you're like are a comedian we haven't like mentioned that yet okay yeah um so 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 it's interesting i um i was always interested in in, in doing comedy i've been into comedy um into stand-up since uh as a teenager, I was watching. I, I, the first stand-up comedian I ever saw was Jerry Seinfeld uh, in in his sitcom that I was a big fan of when I was a teenager. Um, I have soured a bit on Jerry Seinfeld's comedy in the in the yeah. intervening years, mm-hmm. but um, you know, but it was very formative, and you know, and I always kind of wanted to do it. Um, nowadays, stand-up is actually very very stand-up comedy in in that style is very common in Argentina. It wasn't at the time. And I wanted to do it for a while and I was going to some open mics, but I never, never got around to doing it, but I always wanted to do performance of some kind. I had, I got involved with a few different things here and there. And then, um, when I was involved with RAG, um, we were going to do the launch of, I believe, RAG issue five. Um, I was involved with RAG mainly for issues four and five. Uh, the previous ones were before my time. The last one was after I left, but, um, I remember uh, one of one of my my comrades in Rag. I'm not gonna name because I haven't like double checked with people that I can mention them and stuff. But one of my comrades in Rag at the time was very involved in like performance and like the music scene and stuff like that. And she wanted to invite a, a bunch of different artists that she knew of different kinds, like you know musicians and burlesque performers and stuff like that. So we we're gonna have this basically this like massive part because we like the Rag launch parties were the best parties in Dublin. Let me tell you. They were really, really great. They were always in Shomer's Pre. Loads of people. Always a good time. I always had a good time at those parties. And then um, the launch of Rack 5, um, we needed uh, an MC. And I had done bits and pieces of comedy and stuff like that, but nothing major. And so I MC'd it. And it was seven hours of nonstop acts where I had to uh, introduce the act and I had to speak about the act that just left and say something funny that wasn't offensive to that act. And then something about the next one that wasn't offensive, but was funny. You know, basically make people laugh about what they had just saw, but in a way that didn't make the artist feel bad about they, what they made. Not Because that was not what I wanted to do. I was just wanted to like keep the crowd warm, as we say in the business. Um, uh, I, was, I was a mess. I got, I, got, I got drunk and I ended up repeating jokes by the end of the night and uh, people booed me. Friends of mine booed me. It was, it was fun. I had a fun time. It was very messy. But it gave me like, like a feel for, I was like, I really, really want to do this. And I slowly started doing it in like uh, feminist events. And like, um, then when, like uh, in Glasgow, I started doing it at like, yeah, feminist events or, or, or you know, activist stuff that I was involved in. And uh, it was always funny because I always did comedy in, ve- in venues and in events that didn't normally have comedy. Like, you know, activist events usually have like poetry readings and you would have like, like, me- like live music, DJing, you didn't used to have stand-up comedy it's a bit more common now and um and i just started doing it more and more and a few years ago a friend of mine got into it into into doing stand-up and yeah and that's kind of what what got me into it i would say that i am uh i've, I've been joking that i am i am a uh a, a, a long-running unsuccessful comedian <laughs> because i've been doing this now on and off for five years um uh, I've I've played several venues. I have like a, obviously you can't see it, and obviously this is a podcast. But I'm pointing. I have a wall where I has like posters of all of my, um, all all the performances I did in 2019, all the venues, all the posters for the for the events. And uh, so I, I've gigged quite widely in Glasgow and Edinburgh. Um, 
but I've never also had the I've never had the opportunity to dedicate myself to comedy a hundred percent. So it's still something that I do and that I enjoy doing. Um, and yeah, like I think one of the first one of the first things that really really got me thinking about comedy was um, as something that I could really do soon after I did this um, marathon nightmare MC's uh, uh, event was. Um, I encountered a trans woman comedian uh, who I don't think she's been active in years, but she was fairly active at the time, Sally Outen. And um, and I was like, yeah, this is stand up, but it has like the politics that makes sense to me and talks about things that make sense to me. And so that also influenced me a lot. Um, sadly, in the last couple of years, I have kind of edited out a lot of the trans stuff from my act. Um mainly because one of the things that I started noticing is that I did get invited to to do gigs and to do open mics and stuff like that. But one of the things that bothered me is that I never I never got invited to women only to perform at women only events, which um when I was um when I was in Ireland, uh the main performance I did was I I, I DJ'd a lot. So I always got invited to, to DJ at women's events. Uh, I DJ'd a Dublin Pride um Dublin Pride uh, Dublin Pride Dyke Night. I DJ'd that like uh Two or three years, I DJed uh, Northwest Pride when that existed. Um, uh, I now despise Dublin Pride and will never go back. But that's a separate story. Um, but uh, yeah, so it kind of, you know, my politics deeply inform my comedy. Uh, I've, I've often joked that what I love about comedy is that you can present your politics, your left-wing, your feminist, your queer politics, and you can get people to look at your side by making them laugh. You can convince them by making them laugh because if you tell a good joke that lands, mm-hmm. it's a good joke that lands and most audiences will be receptive unless they're like super, super conservative. And why would I play to those people? Yeah, so, I yeah. too saw the B movie before I watched like a full episode of Seinfeld. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, Jerry Seinfeld. Um, I was yeah. a child, but like, yes, it's pretty like wacky and ridiculous. Like, oh, I haven't watched it in years, but <gasps> yes, <laughs> yeah, no, it's like so odd. And to think of that, people that came up with it, it's just oh, as a child, you're like, this makes sense, but <laughs> yes, um, no, no worries. Uh, yeah, no, he's that's that's the guy, that's the dude. It was a movie, actually. Um, yeah, he goes to court. That's legit. I've never finished watching that movie, I couldn't get through it. Um, and I couldn't really get through most episodes of Seinfeld these days anyway, if I'm honest with you. Yeah, man, his new stinger. That's legit. I'll probably I'll probably get a pint one day and watch it ironically. I, I just hear you really saying that a movie which features a woman falling in love with a bee and then that bee proceeding to, to sue the entire human race for using its honey is ridiculous and bad. And, of course, a legal drama in a child show. <laughs> Wait, it's an illegal. It's an illegal drama. I didn't... Yeah, Bring, yeah, and it's like, um, and then just like wow. this scene where like, like the bad guy like pisses off his friend, his friend stings him, and it's like then it becomes like an act of violence or something or whatever. Oh and, god, <laughs> I I missed out not watching this movie. Oh, uh, it's so bad. Like it's 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 definitely a hate watch kind of thing. Like ironic, you need to get drunk or something and. Or I take a shot every time they make a bee pun. 
Oh my god! I I love I actually love, don't do that. You'll die. I love terrible movies. See, I love terrible movies. Um, I have a really good time. One of my favorite movies is Con Air. Although Con Air is like Schrodinger's bad movie. If you watch it enough times, you're like, I don't. I can't actually yeah. tell if this is a bad movie or if it completely knows what it's doing. Because I actually oh, think yeah. they yeah. totally know what they were doing when they made that movie. It's it's intensely weird. I love it. It's, I could watch it a million it's, times. It's, like it's, it's so. <laughs> on the nose with how bad it is that I say like do they know or did they like like if 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 they were doing it intentionally bad I feel like it they wouldn't have made it this funny yeah it's it's because yeah. they'd be trying too hard it's so funny but it's like it's it's the only it's so like it's so bad it's not good but it's so good it's it, not bad it's the though. only movie yeah. I have ever seen Shh. Cole Meany play a character that was not an Irish man from Dublin and uh, uh, Cole Meany, Chief O'Brien, famously in Star Trek, right? And uh, love him. Great actor. I've seen him in a lot of great movies. He's really, really good. And uh, in Con Air, he plays that, uh, he plays your stereotypical avia- Ray-Ban aviators wearing asshole American white white cop. And he does, that, does this over-the-top American accent. And... It's hilarious, and he's so good. He's so good in that movie. I love him so much. He's so funny. Oh God, brilliant! <laughs> oh shit, I didn't. I didn't even tell you about Bolt magazine. I didn't even tell you about Bolt magazine. I just realized you mentioned it. I think, or you mentioned I some mentioned other it. Bolt. But yeah, uh, no, it was that was the one. I can just tell you very quickly. It was we started a women's a queer women's magazine that, as far as we know, was Ireland's first queer women's magazine, and it lasted for about. A couple of years, and uh, we did 12 issues, and uh, most people don't remember it because we couldn't really, it was free, but we couldn't really distribute it very well because uh, most of us who were involved were either working or disabled or long-term ill, and so it was really hard for us to, like, no, I think none of us could drive, <laughs> so it was very hard for us to get it out of Dublin. I still have a couple of, I think I have, like, a box of Bolt magazine <gasps> issues, oh, if any of you is interested. I would be, I um, think we all would be, to be honest, to see that. Yeah, I can... Um, I, it, this is actually great because I'm moving house soon, so I can send you can send you a bunch. But uh, yeah, but I was like, that was a that was a thing that we were uh, that we were doing back then, and it lasted only twelve issues because we had to we had to end it eventually because um, we just couldn't sustain it. But it was a very interesting experiment, and uh, very proud of it still. So thank you, Ari Elther, coming on and telling us about a lot of things. Uh, I will definitely plug uh, United Glasgow. Um, fantastic football team that we uh, we got set up because Glasgow is one of the places in uh, the UK where the Home Office sends people that are in the asylum system and um, that entire system is designed to keep people away from forming a community. And Glasgow is considered by many one of the big football cities in Britain alongside with Manchester and, I don't know, London. That I don't, I don't care about London. I don't think about London. I pretend London doesn't exist. Anyway, Glasgow. So um, we uh, we were founded to kind of establish, like, to, to have a place so that people uh, could come along and enjoy sport in a welcoming community okay. so that, you know, the home office in the UK, which is very, very anti-immigrant, um, frequently talks about, you know, quote-unquote, integration. But what they really mean is a kind of like bulldozing kind of assimilation and they don't really care. We're talking about integration in the real sense of, you know, people are here. Let's get them connected to community. Let's get them connected to resources. Let's get them connected to people that can support them, to people that can, 
be that you know to, to to a community of people that are like-minded that are like friendly and where you can really actually become part here of what we got going at united glasgow it's 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 a very very diverse club i play in the in the women's team uh, i am i've actually been long-term injured for over a year and a half and i'm also very bad at 11 aside but um yeah it's it's a very uh, obviously very involved we're very involved in like lgbt campaigning uh, tra- like uh, trans rights stuff, and yeah, United Glasgow is just fantastic. That's kind of my main, my main plug. Uh, we're also very strongly anti-fascist as well, um, and uh, yeah, that's kind of I would say my main plug right now. Yeah, so United Glasgow sounds amazing, and you can follow us on Starlings on Twitter and the Starlings Collection on Instagram. And I think we'll end it there after that very haphazard attempt. To say goodbye. Bye. Thank you. <laughs>